And uh, just as you're settling, get your Bible open, your app, whatever it is. And there's a title for you, Triple S, if you got it on email yesterday. All right, I did say there was a prize, if you get it right. If you know what the three S's stand for, but it has to be perfect. It's got to be absolutely right to get the prize. Stuart, you know what it is? Send, sin, scampering. No, it's not that one. <laughs> Anybody else want to have a guess? Just You've got to give me three. Right, Robert? One out of three. Anybody else want to have a go? One more? Uh, Mike? Save, sacrifice, and service. One out of three. I'm going to, I better get going. Uh, well, uh, um, otherwise we could be here for a while. Anybody, anyone else? What, last one out there? Shouting? Hmm? One word must be servant. We'll see in a moment. Well, let's have a look. Is that thing working? Hello? All right. Let, all right. This is, well, we're just going to go. But, uh, all right. If, 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 for example, you might have come up with selective service system, that would have been wrong. That's the military conscription program in the United States. You might have come up with social security system. You would be wrong. You could have come up with shoot, shovel, and shut up. That would be wrong. This was a real one. Stop sex in September. That's a real thing. It wasn't that one. We'll move on. Um, I, because my slides are not necessarily working nicely. You, you do know what the five S's stand for, don't you? Five S's. S, 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 S. Stands for? Come on, Australians. Culture. Summer. Slip. No, 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 no. It's, it's something else. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll go this. Slip, slop, slap, seek, and slide, right? Okay. Someone um, phoned me or sent me sacrifice, serving, salvation, and selfishness. Ah, anyway, we'll get there. Here it is, finally. Don't know what's happening with my slides. Triple S stands for served saints, serve. Okay. Serve saints, serve. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, it will. Do you know what DNA? Do you know what DNA is? You don't know what DNA is. All right, Caroline, here's just for you. DNA, Caroline, would you say that next word for me, please? Thank you. DNA is a molecule that contains the genetic code that is unique to every individual. Think of this code as an instruction manual for making all the proteins that form our bodies and help them thrive. The information coded in DNA is hereditary, meaning that it passes from parent to child. You got it? Now, let me tweak that. Do you know what spiritual DNA is? Let me tweak it this way. Serving is a spiritual molecule that contains a genetic code that is unique to all Christians. Think of the serving code as an instruction manual helping all parts of the body of Christ to thrive. The information coded in the serving DNA is hereditary, meaning it passes from parent to child when we are born again as children of God in Christ. The DNA of Christianity is serving. It should be the air that we breathe, the blood in our veins, the fiber in our bones. Every Christian is a saint. Saints have been served by their Lord in order to serve. 
Served, saints, served. Does it make sense? Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give Him His life as a ransom for us. And you remember these words in John 13, don't you? John 13, Jesus washing their feet. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Saints are people who have been served in order to serve. Served, saints, serve. Got your passage open in front of you. So have a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, which is really the key. It's the key verse. It's the hinge around which everything is his holding. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. You could write it like this. In your relationships with one another, have the same, what? Serving mindset as Christ. In other words, in your relationships with one another, use the same serving DNA as Christ. Let's have a look at what that looked like in Jesus. Here's my first, here's my first heading. Served saints serve, the suffering servant served. Look at verses 6 and 7. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In the words of Ray Galea, Galea the, with these words we are launched into the greatest roller coaster of all time. A descent as steep as any cliff. You see, it begins with the one who has, who has been given the human name Jesus and the title of Messiah, who is equal with God but refuses to hold on to that which is his by right. If you hold on to something that's not yours, it's called what? Stealing. When you take something that is yours, what is it called? When you take something that is yours, what's it called? That's called exercising your rights. What do you call it if you refuse to take hold of that which is yours by right? What do you call it? It's called humility. It's called humility. It's, it means valuing others and the needs of others above your own. And when you refuse to take something that is yours by right, that is something very rare and something rather amazing. We live in a culture and a country where fighting for, standing on, prizing, and, and, and exercising your rights is the name of the game. But from the heights of heaven, the second person of the triune God descends down, down, down into your shoes and mine. The one who is equal with God made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Look at it there in verse 7. And that made himself nothing. Just look at that little phrase. In the Greek, made himself nothing. It's, it's, it's kenosis. It's, it's, it's he emptied himself. Christ emptied himself. And it's important to know that Jesus did not stop being God, but rather he started being human. Jesus is not some sort of divine cyborg, part God, part human. Jesus took on flesh. He 
took on being human. And what Paul is telling us here is that God crossed the universe in order to meet us in the flesh. This is the humility of our great God. And humility, by definition, is not being a quiet person. Humility, by definition, is not being a quiet little introverted person who doesn't say much. Humility is not about putting yourself down when you get a compliment. You know those people, don't you? You say to them, oh, you've done such a fantastic job. Wonderful, thank you. Oh, it was nothing. It wasn't really me. That's not called humility. That's called pride. You can also be a quiet little church mouse and yet a raging arrogant inside. What humility is, is knowing that you are a recipient of undeserving grace. And therefore you value the needs of others above your own. And that's what Christ did for us, didn't he? He valued us above himself. He, he didn't cross a parliamentary floor, but he crossed the heavens in order to meet us up close and personal. He got down on his knees and became flesh for us permanently. But the plunge of the roller coaster is even more dramatic and even deeper than God becoming human. The humility goes even deeper. Have a look at it in chapter 2, verse 8. Then being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The step that God took was not just from heaven to earth, not just from being God to being human, but from being God to dying. Jesus Christ humbled himself even to the point of death. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, put it like this once. He said, he said of our Lord in the manger, those little arms will one day grapple with the monster death and destroy it. You see, whereas death comes to all of us, Christ goes into death. And he went even lower, didn't he? It wasn't just death, but death on a what? Death on a cross. At Golgotha, the one who is equal to God had our sin stapled to his body, assuming complete responsibility for our rebellion, then making full payment for our sin on that first Friday. You see, in a world where everybody wants to move up, with the eye on the better job, the better partner, the better house, the better body, the better friends, Jesus was downwardly mobile. You see, with Christ, there's no Italian suit there's no chauffeur-driven BMW outside the ocean villa. Instead, we just find a blood-stained cross at the place of the skull. And all happened so that you and I could become children of God. And notice, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He, he became obedient. He humbled himself even to death on a cross. It wasn't that Jesus was trapped in the Father's plan. The Son of the Father willingly brought the will of the Father into history. And the reason why you and I value each other more and our needs higher than our own is because the God who has told us to do that has already gone before us and done it for us in a way that is bigger and better than we could ever imagine really and we could ever do ourselves. You see, if you and I have been truly confronted by the humility of our God, we will never be the same. And it's the suffering servant who served that then passed on his serving DNA into us by faith through his Spirit 
at our, our new birth. The suffering servant served, now serve saints shown. We've all got heroes, haven't we? You got a hero? Sporting hero? A business hero? A literary hero? You've got 15 seconds. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, even if there's a gap, tell them who your, your hero is. I don't know, whatever category. Just tell the person next to you. Who's, who's your hero? Quick, quick. Who's your hero? Who's your spirit? No, no, just any hero. Right, stop there, stop there, that's long enough. Right, shout out a hero, someone's hero. Yours or the person that you were speaking to. Put it, come on, give me a hero. Your mum. Okay, that's nice. Mum at the back there. Who? Lancelot. Who? Hey? I didn't get the, I didn't get the name? Okay, I didn't get that one. Father, no, hopefully not Father Christmas. Uh, Anna? What? Yeah, but that's spiritual. Then we'll, we'll get to Jesus in a moment. Yeah, Travis? Your brother? Yeah. Uh, any sporting heroes out there, Richard? LeBron James, there we go. Basketball. They're all floor. Oh, okay, whatever. All right. Yes, Jai. Who? Taylor Swift. Who? Caitlin Ford. Ooh, the soccer Matilda. Okay. I just want to throw Tay-Tay in there as well. Never mind. Um, a, a hero is someone that you look up to, right? A hero is meant to be someone you admire. You want to be like them. Because of what they've done, what they've accomplished, you want to be like them. You're right, Anna. Our hero is who? Jesus Christ. He's the one that we ultimately admire. He's the one we ultimately look up to. He's the one that we want to be like. Why? Because of what he's done, what he's accomplished for us. And in fact, again, he's given us his serving DNA to be like him. Which is why, again, in chapter 2, verse 5, in your, in your relationships with one another, have the same serving mindset as Jesus Christ. But if you've got your Bible, drop down to verse 17. Paul, what he does now is he gives us some examples of people who had the serving mindset of Christ. He, he, he gives us some, some serve saints who show their service in various ways. Uh, people who had the DNA of Christ and now they begin to express it. And the purpose of these three examples that you're about to see is that Paul, in addition to your hero in Christ, he wants these examples to further inspire you, further encourage you, further push you, if you like, motivate you in order to to serve like your Lord. Now, I need to be very careful when using parenting examples because I have two of my children in the service. But I'm going to take the risk on this one this morning. Let me ask you a question. Parents, as parents, we serve our children, don't we? Is that, is that, is that true? As parents, we serve our children. When they start breathing the air of this world, we start serving. Amen? Hallelujah. Baptist, amen for that one, right? We're going. We do so many things in love for our children. Now listen, here's the question. When we serve our children, what do we hope will happen? That, that what? That they, 
will start becoming servants themselves. We hope that our loving service will produce loving service in them, right? Now here's the question, parents. Does that happen? It's a bit hit and miss, isn't it? Now, when you serve your children, one of two things can happen. One of two things. Your serving could produce little servants. Anybody got some hands up for that one? Or your service could produce children who think they are so entitled and they want to be waited on hand and foot. There's some nudging going on here. Leave, uh, sorry, leave. Um, Here's the thing. This can happen in the church, sadly, with some Christians. Here's what happens. Instead of the service of others becoming an encouragement to you and a motivation to you in order to serve, the service of others to you inadvertently, even unknowingly at times, produces some sort of consumer selfish mentality. Let me ask you these questions, and then I'll get into those examples. Do the way, does the way that people serve you in this church, does it encourage you to serve? I'm not asking you to, if it encourages you to serve in the same way, but do they encourage you to serve? So, for example, does the person that greets you every single week at the door, does that person encourage you to be a servant? Does... Does the team that serves you tea and coffee every single Sunday, that you've got a nice cuppa, does that encourage you to be a servant and be part of a serving team? Does the fact that you have got uh, people serving in our kids' church, teaching our kids the gospel every week, do they encourage you? Does that, is that an encouragement for you to serve? Is the fact that we've got a hub team out there wanting to connect people to us and to Jesus, does that encourage you? Up here this morning, we had the gathering team on piano and singing. And do, do they encourage you to be servants? Are you encouraged to be a servant when you understand that the chair that you're sitting on is set up for you every single week? Does the team that give up their, their, their every single Friday night and other days in order to serve our teens at pod, does that encourage you to be a servant? Or has that service inadvertently created a consumer mentality in you? Now, as you ponder that, Paul gives us three examples of saints who were served and they showed it in their service. Here's the first one. Serve St. Paul. Paul uses himself as an example of service. Paul, as you know, back in chapter 1, he's in jail. The Philippians are deeply concerned about him. And listen to what he says in verse 17. He says to them, But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. Now, this is incredible. Because what Paul says is he, he pictures his service like a drink offering on top of a sacrifice. He's drawing from the Old Testament. And it's an incredible picture. So what happened in the Old Testament? You had a sacrifice, an animal was put on the flames. As the, as the thing was burning up, you would actually put a wine offering on top of the sacrifice and it would go up. 
So let me give you an example. Numbers 15.5. With each lamb for the burnt offering or the sacrifice, prepare a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. So the sacrifice is on, it's being burnt, it goes up, you poured some wine on it. As the wine went on top of the sacrifice, it would vaporize and it would rise like, a, like, like, a, like an incense. It would rise like, a, like an aroma as the sacrifice was going up. And here's what Paul is saying. He sees his sacrifice like the drink offering on top of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for him. Incredible. But what does that look like in practice? Well, have a look at this. He's in jail. Not sure. Live, die. Who knows? He's in, in, in jail for the gospel. He says, I'm torn between the two. I'm torn between life and death. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Here's his, here's his DNA. Here's his servant heart. He says, listen, I'm on the verge. I could die the next moment. They could take off my head. To go and be with Christ in heaven would be so much better. But I want to stay and do what? I want to serve you. I want to make sure you progress. I want to make sure that you grow in the faith. I want to be there to see you become all that you can become in Christ. Oh, what a heart. And you say, well, what, what, what did that look like for Paul in practice? Well, he's in jail for the gospel, right? He took the gospel to the Philippians in Acts chapter 16. He formed and got going with that church. What did his service look like? It looked like praying. In my prayers for all of you, when you serve people, you pray for people. What did it look like? 2.19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I might be cheered when I receive news about you. Paul's heart for the Philippians is so deep, he wants to see how they're going. He can't go. He's in jail, and he's prepared to send one of his best men, Timothy. We'll come to him in a moment. Send Timothy to Philippi in order to see how they're going. And then one more. What did his service look like? If you look at chapter 4 in your Bible of Philippians, you'll notice that there were two warring ladies in the church. There was Euodia and Syntyche having a bit of a battle. And Paul says, hey, you two ladies need to get your act together. Let's get the stuff sorted out. Paul's service to the church looked like he needed to be a peacemaker at times. So there's the first example, and, and, and it's meant to inspire us and encourage us. And here's the second one. Serve St. Tim. So in verse 19, he wants to send Timothy across to, uh, uh, back to, to Philippi to see how they're doing. And look what he says about Timothy in verse 20. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Do you see it there? There it is. There's humility. There's the spiritual DNA of Jesus Christ. It is a concern for others above yourself. And it's in Timothy. He says, I've got no one else like him. And here's the antithesis. He says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not of those of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is comparing the spiritual DNA of a Christian with those who are not Christian. The, 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 the life without the serving DNA of Christ is a self-absorbed, self-fulfilling, selfish life where actually at the end of the day, the only person you really care about advancing is yourself. You're just really not bothered with anybody else except yourself. And notice in verse 22, 
Paul says of Timothy, he's proved himself. He's proved himself as a servant, like a son with his father. He served with me in the work of the gospel. I mean, Timothy was right there with Paul, looking after Paul, being there with Paul, sitting in jail with Paul, arrested with Paul, whatever it took. And then, verse 23, Paul again says, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things are going with me. Timothy's looking after Paul. And Timothy is willing to get up and go to the Philippians to see how they're doing in order to serve them for their joy and for the concern and the joy of the Apostle Paul himself. And you realize... uh, Timothy going, willing to go from, from jail to Philippi was not going from here to Bunbury. It was about 800 miles. That was the trip. Sort of like here to Exmouthish. No air-conditioned car. No luxury bus. No airplane. Foot, road, and sea. 1,400 kilometers. Wow. It's meant to encourage you and inspire you to serve, right? Here's the third one. Serve Saint Epaphrodites. But Paul continues in that same passage, verse 25. He says, but I think it's also necessary to send back to Epaphrodites, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Just a, Again, just a beautiful picture of the phil- The church at Philippi, they serve Paul by sending Epaphrodites and sending a gift to look after his needs. But but Epaphrodites, he's willing to go again. And look at those descriptions. Brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, messenger. Again, just remember the trip, all right? So from Philippi to where Paul is, is also 1,400 Ks. Willing to go and look after Paul. Willing to take a gift because he cared more about him cared more about Paul, he cared more about the gospel than himself. But here is something beautiful. Oh my goodness. Every time I read it, it just... mm. Here's what Paul says about Epaphrodite. He says, for he longs for all of you, because he misses his church. He's distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Now, two things I want you to see. Number one, that Epaphroditus nearly died. On this trip to get to Paul, he's nearly died somewhere. Something along the trip might have nearly killed him. But notice what Paul says. Why is Epaphroditus distressed? Why is he distressed? He's distressed because the Philippians know that he is sick. Now, I want you to be flat, bang, honest with me for a moment. When you get sick... And you're lying in your bed with COVID or heaven knows whatever else. When you're really sick and you're distressed, are you distressed about the distress that is on those who are looking after you and care about you? Or, when you're sick, are you distressed because you're distressed and you're such a grumpy bum because you're sick? Uh, those laughs tell me all. You don't even have to put up your hands. And, and, and you know how you know it? Because when someone is sick and distressed, you know what often they do? They start biting the people that are looking after them. They get grumpy. And they start getting abusive. 
And they start saying things they shouldn't really say because they're so distressed. They're not giving a whole little nothing about those who are looking after them. And we usually turn around and say, oh, shame. They're just like that because they're sick, right? Well, that's not Epaphrodites. Epaphrodites was distressed because he knew the Philippians were distressed about him. How's that for love? How's that for love? Ah, oh, Epaphrodites. I call him Epap for short. He says, so then, at the end of verse 20, I love it. He says, welcome him in the Lord as I send him back to you. Just welcome. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And you, what you do, you honor people like that. You honor people. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphrodites had the same spiritual DNA of Christ. It was transmitted to them through the new birth by faith in Jesus. Here's what each man did. Each man worked out his service. They didn't all do the same things. Yes, there was overlap in this context, but, but in terms of how God made them, how God wired them, how God had blessed them, how God had gifted them in their life circumstances, whether they were single or married or whatever the case may be, they served Christ. Sorry, they served Christ's people with the DNA of Christ. Now, what this is saying is this. It doesn't mean that we are to go and do the same things that they did. But here's the thing. You are to work out your service in your context. Do you hear that? You work out your service in your context, in your life, your circumstances, your gifting, your place, your space. You work it out. So let's just take Timothy, Paul, and Epap. Um, we're not 100% sure, but it's very possible that Timothy and Epap were not married. Okay? Paul may have been a widower and, or, or not married. So because they were possibly three single men, they could do the things that they could do here. Epap could go and leave his family because he didn't have a family to look after. Timothy the same. He went around on missionary journey with Paul, whatever the case may be. Single Christians, Christians who are single, work out their service in their context. They can do things that marrieds can't do. If you're married without kids or married... With kids and married with young kids, married with old kids, single, whatever it is, the point is work it out. If you're a teenager, work out your service. There are things you can do as a teenager that others can't do. Now, I'm going to draw a very narrow application this morning. I want you to stay with me. If you're a Christian here today, you, you could be in a number of different spots. You could be a regular here. You might be not so regular here. You might be a visitor from another church. In town, out of town. Maybe you're here as a Christian, but you've actually got absolutely no connection or commitment to another church. I want you to hear me, Christian. Christian, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. You have the spiritual DNA of your serving Lord transmitted to you by new birth. You've got your hero Christ. You've got three wonderful examples in Paul, Timothy, and Epaphrodites. And the question is this, are you working out your service in your context? 
Do you have this deep concern for your brothers and sisters that they progress in the faith, they grow in the faith, they move forward in the faith? Are you just therefore willing to serve wherever and however you can? Now here at BBC, one of the values that we have is serving. All churches should have that. Our core value is serving, and one of the ways in which we do that is we have serving teams. And I mentioned some of them earlier. We serve in teams, not rosters, because we want people to know each other, get to connect with one another, belong to one another, support one another, be accountable to one another. So I'm going to put this up and leave it up for a little bit. There are five Sunday serving teams at BBC. There's the gathering teams that lead in music and leading of services and prayer and praise. And There's the tea and coffee teams that serve you that lovely cuppa that you're all waiting for outside after the service. We've got a kids' church teams in school term where they take the kids and they go and teach them the gospel. We've got the crèche, we've got the crèche teams that look after the babies up to and including kindy. So, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. And then we've got the hub team as well that, that are looking on focusing on welcoming people and connecting people and taking next steps. Here's the first thing I want to say. I want to thank each and every one of you that are serving in one of our teams. And there are some of you sitting here this morning that serve in more than one team. And I want to thank you for that as well. Why serve? Why serve? Let me give you the heart of each of those teams. Why would you want to serve in the gathering team? Because God has given you certain gifts. And you want to use those gifts to connect people to God in prayer and praise and other aspects. Why do you want to serve in tea and coffee? So that people afterwards can connect with one another, have a cuppa together, chat together, get to know each other instead of just rushing off. Why would you want to serve in kids' church team? So that you have the opportunity to serve our children by teaching them the gospel to know Jesus and love Jesus, be a follower of Jesus. Why would you want to be in the crash? Why would you want to be part of the serving team in crash? Because there are moms and dads here with little tots, little youngers. It's really hard to focus and concentrate in the sermon if they're screaming and running around and going wild and whatever else. And you're just willing to go out there and be part of a team that's going to look after them and, and serve them. And you're serving the kids, you're serving the parents so that they can sit in the church and be undistracted and hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you want to be involved in Hub? So that people walk in that door, they feel welcomed, they feel loved, they feel accepted. And you're in a position to help them take a connection towards a next step. Why would you want to be part of the team that sets up the chairs on a Sunday morning? So that people are comfortable and undistracted and again can corporately come together and worship. 
the spiritual DNA of the teams is serving others. Does it take time? Does it take commitment? Does it take sacrifice? Does it take self-denial where you would rather be doing something else but for the love of others? If you're able to serve in some way and you're not, and you're not willing to, what would you call it? See, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a look at your Lord Jesus again this morning. And his descent from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. And to look at those three wonderful examples in Epaphras, Timothy, and Paul. Jesus did say it's more blessed to give than receive. As you think about that for a moment, I'm going to ask the gathering team for this morning, won't you join me up front? We're going to sing a song, and then I am just going to take two minutes, two or three minutes afterwards. I'm going to give you some very practical next steps in terms of our Sunday gathering teams. But as the team comes up,